The Breakdown with Bethany is a mom.com podcast. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of The Breakdown with Bethany. I'm Bethany Braun Silva, and today my guest is Christine Michelle Carter. She's the number one global voice for working moms, so you know I'm already a fan. We're going to be talking about ways moms can advocate for themselves in the workplace, whether they're in the office or at home, and we might even get into some current events. Today was a big news day, and I don't mean that in a good way. So stick around. You're going to want to check this one out. All right. So Christine, first tell us about your career journey up into this point. For those of you who don't know who Christine is, you will find out about her very soon. She's the number one global voice for working mom. So, but let's hear it from you, Christine. Tell us all about your career journey up into this point. Yeah, so my career has always been with a background in marketing, especially content marketing and consumer marketing. But once I became a mother and had to pump in a bathroom stall because I worked at a startup with most right with predominantly white men who had no idea about what it meant to be a working mom, I became an advocate for other women. So they didn't have to go through that same experience because it was absolutely disgusting. And I had no idea what my rights were. So since then, um, my daughter turned 11 on Sunday. So I've spent the past 11 years advocating for those women with mom Congress and the Department of Labor and the Chamber of Commerce and a number of different organizations to to try and make work a little bit more friendly for mothers. You know, it's so interesting to hear you say that. Obviously, I can relate. Um, I got into sort of the corporate digital media publishing world at the same time as becoming a mother. So I didn't really have anything to kind of reference back to. I just assumed that pumping in a bathroom stall or not being, you know, walked in on while pumping in the designated room, that was all kind of just like, normal when maybe it was the norm, but it shouldn't be. So can you tell me a little bit about the ways you advocate for working moms in particular? Sure. So I am an executive committee member of Mom Congress. Every year we knock down doors at Capitol Hill, urging for laws that protect mothers from a mental health perspective, um, maternal mental health, the mortality rate that mothers face and the disproportionate uh, mortality rate for women of color. I also write different articles for Forbes Women to help companies understand the plight of working mothers. I help working mothers um, have tools and resources to be able to advocate for themselves at work and, and feel empowered at work themselves. Um, and then I also am an author. So I think that there's, with this, with my generation, you know, we knew what it was like to be around each other. COVID, social media made that worse. And then COVID made it even worse. So there are so many mothers out there who are just lonely, feel misunderstood, feel isolated, feel like they're the only ones going through what they go through. So I wrote two books and I wrote a hilarious novel, which is like no holds barred called Mom AF for Moms, so that they can see like, I'm a mess just like them. And then I wrote a children's book, Can Mommy Go to Work? So um, I've heard that moms say that that helps them to have the conversation with their kids when it's daycare drop-off time and the kids are like sliding down the glass door crying because they don't want mommy to leave. It helps with that conversation. Yeah, I can only imagine, you know, you mentioned COVID. So I'm thinking of, you know, first time moms who maybe, and I don't want to say the luxury, but like we're able to spend the last few years home with their babies who might Mm -hmm. now just be entering the workforce, uh, you know, 
for the first time as a mother, what would you tell them as far as maybe advocating for themselves? Oh my gosh, I don't even consider it a luxury because can you imagine being pregnant during COVID and then giving birth and worrying about somebody infecting your child? I can't even imagine. I do consider it a luxury that I was able to be home with my kids because I will never have the opportunity when they're of elementary school age to be home with them every day. But for the new moms, I just feel for them. And you're right. It's they don't know a world where it was pre-COVID and they were mothers going into the workforce. So I like to think that we live in a more empathetic environment when it comes to the workplace. However, there are so many companies that were rushing people back to work and so many companies that are saying remote work is over. Advocating for yourself is not going to go anywhere. Um, Pre-COVID, I remember how hard it was for me to advocate for remote work. And I was looked at like I had three heads. And then I wanted to be like, I told you so, I told you so, when everything came out about the motherhood penalty and the disproportionate work that we were doing. I feel for those mothers, but they do have a a hard road ahead of them with advocating. It's not going to, it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, you did mention that. I mean, that's why I think that your services and people like you are so important. Um, You do, one of the things you talk about, which is really interesting to me when I was preparing for this interview, we all know what imposter syndrome is, but you also talk about something called summit syndrome, which I found so fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. And I didn't coin that term. That was Robert Rose with the Content Marketing Institute. But it's the idea of imposter syndrome going untreated. And women and minorities, folks who don't feel that sense of ambient belonging and feel a disconnection in the workplace, they're the ones most likely to experience imposter syndrome. Summit syndrome is that act of chasing an unattainable corporate high. And I see it so many times with women where, oh, I don't belong in the workplace. So let me go get my MBA and let me go get three other master's degrees that have nothing to do with my line function. And let me go get a bunch of certificates and let me start working on board memberships. And it's just burning yourself out and accelerating the burnout because you feel like you don't belong and you're trying to prove yourself. Yeah, I'm, you're really striking a nerve with me because when I got into writing, editing, digital publishing, I had absolutely no background in that as far as my education goes. And I think that my imposter syndrome became summit syndrome. So to hear it named is actually, I feel like I can take a deep breath. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's an interesting fact that I usually share with companies, six out of 10 people feel like imposters at, in their workplace. So if you put that into perspective, social media, at work, anytime that you're seeing 10 people, six of those people feel the same way you do, or five of those people feel the same way you do. So we are all battling imposter syndrome on one level or another. And there are many people who are trying to negate that with summit syndrome. Right. And I also want to talk about something that I think a lot of working moms uh, deal with. And of course, we have, you know, the top down feeling like we're not supported at work, either by the corporations or our bosses. But what do you would say about the are sort of like our counterparts, the people that are, you know, adjacent to us who might have similar roles, our, our coworkers, our colleagues who might be feeling, who might make us feel like we're, you know, if we leave right at five or if we cut out early to take, you know, to do whatever. And, you know, so even other women, and I don't want to, you know, yeah. blanket it here, other women who might also be mothers. So can you yeah. tell me, talk to me, give me your thoughts a little bit about that. Oh, I blanket because I blanket in data. I just did a piece for Forbes Women about toxic femininity, and you would be surprised the num- the 
the folks, when it comes to women of color, for example, the group that is most likely to help them with their career and serve as mentors and actually give them the tangible um, information that they need to accelerate their career are white men. <laughs> it's uh, actually last to be white women. And it's all in the article. And it, I completely get what you're saying, where there are so many people who feel like um, they judge mothers for leaving early. And some of them are mothers themselves or women themselves. And what folks don't realize is they could one day be in that position as a parent, and if not as a parent, as a caregiver, because we all are caregivers in some capacity and in our lives, either for aging parents or older aunts or neighbors who were aging or kids. The, the chances of someone in America being a caregiver are quite high. So when you judge somebody for leaving early or you don't help that person advance their career because you think that working parents um, aren't as dedicated or as productive, which studies show that is not the case, then you're ultimately hurting yourself when you need to put yourself in that same position. Okay, and in the same you know, vein here, I, I would like to talk about women of color and how they are disproportionately affected by you know, maternal mental health crisis, maternal you know, crisis in general, or really, let's just blanket it, like you everything. would. Everything, you're right, anything and everything. Anything right. and everything. So first of all, what, I wanna know your thoughts, and I know you have a lot, but also what can white women do to help? tangible support. So instead of just serving as an ally, walking the walk. So I, in the article, I gave an example of when I put on an event during um, Black Lives Matter, when it was at the height um, during the racial injustice of George Floyd and whatnot two years ago. And in two weeks, some colleagues and I put on an event and we raised $15,000. And the reason we did it was because we held white women accountable. We held our allies accountable instead you have to reach out to your network and get us sponsorship dollars so that we can support nonprofits that support black moms specifically. So actually walking the walk, you don't necessarily have to give dollars, but even in meetings, giving credit, um, studies show that most black women aren't getting credit. They're not getting checked in on by their manager. The women in the workplace study said that. Um, walking the walk, you know, just overall walking the walk, not saying that you're an ally, but doing something tangible to show that you're an ally. Okay, good. No, I mean, I think that's really important to know because I think we see a lot of that. That's yeah, talking totally. About. I mean, so many, so many mothers, first of all, don't have networking opportunities that folks without children do, but then that changes for women of color. So even introducing um, a woman of color or a mother of color to someone else within your network can make a huge difference. Right. And you are an incredible resources for mothers and black mothers, especially, but Beside from you, which and I don't, you know, I'm not just don't, please don't think I'm not discrediting you, but where else can they go for this information? Because oh I feel like gosh. it's hard to find. It can be it can be hard to find. Oh no, I have so many friends. I would say Shanisha Boswell, who does Black Moms blog, Blessing at a CN, who does Mother Honestly, um, Nefertiri Plezzi, who um, has Single Moms Planet. There are so many women out there who are great resources. Those are my frequent collaborators, but uh, there's a, a just a multitude of women doing great work for Black moms. Okay, great. I'm so glad we were able to name those names. Yeah. All right. If, if we can now, today was a big news day and I don't mean that in a good way. Today, Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. Um, you know, I know that you do a lot of work, a lot of work there. And, you know, 
And again, we're going to talk about how this will disproportionately affect women of color and black women. And I just want to get your thoughts because they're probably pretty raw right now. Yeah, you know, I was on a call with Anne Choquette and some colleagues about um, anticipating the decision. And they, so many facts were shared, like eight out of 10 Americans support Roe v. Wade. And uh, mothers are often ones to get abortions and they might have another child and they can't necessarily afford to take care of another child, be it from a mental or financial perspective. So I think that um, there's this there's this misconception about mothers overall, but there's this misconception that there's this teenager who is a multicultural teenager living in the ghetto who's getting an abortion. And that's not necessarily the case. I think that that needs to be reframed. Um, and then on top of that, I think that um, folks are just, especially men in power are hiding behind that and trying to hold that power as long as they can, even if it means controlling women's bodies, which is just absolutely just insane to me. It's asinine. But do you plan on doing any additional like advocacy after what happened today? Oh, definitely. Oh yeah. That, that work is not going to stop. Yeah. I'm definitely going to keep doing, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. I, I'm going to be working with Anne probably on how can we continue to serve as advocates and how can we continue to serve as allies for women who are, you know, stuck between a rock and a hard place right now. Yeah. And just to shift gears once again, you are a mom to two very adorable kids. I see in the background yeah. there. You are really hilarious AF on social Thank media. You. <laughs> so you're so honest and real. Can you tell me a little bit about your approach to social media? And like, oh, what? Um, yeah. <laughs> I need an approach to social media. That's the problem. I just feel like I'm talking, like Kanye says, I feel like I'm on TV talking like it's just you and me because I will just say whatever because. I feel the women that follow me, I follow them. So I feel like we have a connection and I'll just be talking like I'm talking to girlfriends. And especially, like I said, in a world where people feel so lonely and they feel like, thank God you said that because that's how I feel. Or they're laughing at what I said because they get it. I, you know, if somebody takes the time out of their day to read something that you wrote, I, I, I am so... Um, that humbles me so much. And I am so honored and so thankful whenever somebody does that. So of course, I'll do whatever I can to entertain them or to lift their spirits because motherhood is hard. It is so hard and so demanding 24 hours a day. It is very hard. It is the hardest job out there. Christine, thank you so much. This was a quick one, but like so much knowledge that you shared thank and you. you are such an invaluable resource. Please tell us a little bit about, you know, one look at your website, you offer a number of services. You're out there speaking to companies. Tell us, um, you know, if, if a woman wants to reach out to you, a mom wants to reach out to you, how can they do that? Sure. Um, my contact page has all my social handles, but Instagram and Twitter, it's C. Michelle Carter. Facebook and LinkedIn, it's Christine Michelle Carter, or they can email me at inquiries at christinemichellecarter.com. I do not bite. So please do reach out. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.